Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. John chapter 5, that's Chase Rice, the Florida Georgia Line. The song's called Sitting Here Drinking Beer, Talking God. Amen. Y'all know I'm not like endorsing beer, right? Or normalizing that. I'm, I'm really not. I don't play that song so that you, uh, in, in any way, to talk about how Christians think and behave. We're trying to think about how lost people think and behave. And I think that Chase Rice does a really good job of showing us how a whole lot of lost people think. Um, ain't never been the church going tight, can't quote past. 316, but uh, Friday night church found me sitting here drinking beer, talking God. It's a really interesting expression, and uh, probably more than any other song that I could choose, I think that song expresses the way most of my neighbors, lost friends, actually would, would, would say. If they could sing a song, that would probably be the song. Uh, that's their expression. So let's talk about what that means for us as evangelists, as those called to spread the gospel Start with me in John chapter 5, verse 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. This is a really strange story about a strange pool and a strange legend around that pool, but Jesus comes and uh, heals a man here in John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up. Pick up your mat, walk. So you, you got to get the idea. You got to imagine this scene around this pool. Now, there was a legend in, in the day uh, that this pool was somehow touched by an angel. Now, once I explain this to you, you're going to know this is not how angels work and, and it's not how anything works. But, but back in the day, the water was some sort of mineral springs or hot, hot springs. And so periodically, once or twice a day, that water would bubble, it, it would move. And the legend was, whoever is the first one in the water, first one in the water when that water moves, that person and only that person gets healed. Okay, the the really twisted part of that is that you are talking about the most broken bodies in town, the the sickest people, the lame, the crippled, the, the blind, the paralyzed. And so you're asking them to race. It's competitive healing. I mean, you can't describe it any other way. It's cruel to make those people, make crippled people race to see who can get in the water first. This man that Jesus encounters has been there, what, 38 years because he doesn't stand a chance. Now, you know how this would work, right? I mean, on the first part, this is like the worst ICU, ER, nursing home kind of scene you can imagine. I mean, just the sights, the smells, I mean, the suffering of people. 
But when that water bubbles up, who's going to get in there first? It's always going to be like some kid with chapped lips, you know, who's going to do a backflip and into the pool because they're going to be faster. It's always going to be somebody who leads, needs the healing the least. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's going to be some lady with an eyelash in her eye, like that's her whole problem, but she's going to jump in that pool. And then the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they're never, ever going to get in. They're never going to win if that's the game. Now, I start here because, honestly, I feel like that scene around that pool is pretty much how most churches operate. In other words, it almost seems stacked against the people who need it the most. Churches are kind of dominated by people like us, right? And we seem to be the people who have our lives together. The people who really need what we're talking about here the most, they're hardly ever here. And we have to ask ourselves why that is. I would suggest this. When churches like ours get taken over by people like us, we soon forget about the world outside. Jesus asks the man, do you want to get well? And the man says, I don't have anybody. I can't, sir. I don't have anybody to help me. When Chaser I sings this song about the folks who are probably never, ever going to come to church, you have to understand, they don't see anything here that they need. They really, really don't. I mean, if they can sit around with down-home friends as he sings and they can talk God around a fire pit, what do they need us for? I mean, surely you understand how weird all of this must be for people who aren't church people. I'm not calling y'all weird, but I am. We're weird. If you're not a church person, if you're a non-believer, and you were to wander into this service, this is all weird. That we stand and sit and stand and sit and, you know, we did a cell phone game and pitched t-shirts and now I'm talking to y'all and I'm weird. I mean, it's all weird. If you're an outsider, this is, this is just really sort of strange. And it's all sort of stacked for those of us who do this professionally. And by now, some of you are professional churchgoers. I mean, you know exactly when to stand, when to sit. You know what to do when the play comes by. You know the songs. I mean, you know all of this. You are completely at home here. But there's a world of people out there who really can't imagine coming in here. And that has a whole lot to do with us. Simple. Jesus never commands the world to come to church. You ever think about that? See, the interesting thing is that's our whole strategy. Like that's our strategy for winning the world to Jesus, for spreading the gospel in the whole world. Our strategy is we're going to come up in here once a week and have church. We're going to have church, and that's our idea of winning the world, us just coming in here and, and having us some church. But that's not the plan. That was never Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was not that they'd all come to us in order to get to him, because I promise you we would mess that up. Jesus never commands the world to go to church. He commands the church to go into the world. It's not about them coming here. It's about us going out there. Chase Rice sings, sitting here, drinking beer, Talking God. Honestly, that's the part that gets me. Talking God. 
I think that some of us imagine that non-believers must not be interested in faith, you know, or they'd be here. They'd come to church, and that's not how it works. Surely you understand that, that non-believers are actually quite interested in, in deep talks about spiritual matters, about, about faith. You have to understand this. I, I, I know that this is true. I mean, drunk people can get very religious. Y'all know? Like, I know because I'm a pastor. When y'all get drunk, y'all call me. Like, I don't know why that, you know, occurs to you to call me, but y'all call me. Because you get spirits. I mean, you get spirits. There's a lady in Woodburn, never, she never came to our church. But every time she got high, she thought she was Mary Magdalene. And when she get high, she'd write me letters and sign a Mary Magdalene. I got a stack of, I saved them, y'all. I got a stack of letters from Mary Magdalene. Because every time she got high, she got really spiritual. R wrote me letters. I, I got a dude that two different times he got drunk. He met a girl in a bar in Bowling Green. And uh, he called me, like, he'd call me at like 1, 2 in the morning and say, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm sleeping. He said, good, you're not doing anything. Would you please come do my wedding? I said, who are you marrying? This girl right here, I love her. When did you meet her? Tonight. I'm like, dude, no, I'm not going to come. You know, I thought you was a man of God. I, I thought you'd like to help people, man of God. What kind of man of God don't want to do a wedding? It's two in the morning. I'll talk to you in the, you know. I, those are extreme examples. I'm just telling you, if, if you think that, that non-church goers aren't interested in spiritual things, then you need to get out there and talk to some real people. Non-believers are open to deep talks about faith, and they're actually having those conversations, just not with us. They're sitting here, you know, around the fire pit, drinking beer with some down-home friends, and that's where they feel safe enough to talk about faith. That's where they feel like they can ask their questions. That's where they feel like they can express their doubts. I'm telling you, they're having these spiritual conversations. They're just not having these conversations with us, and that's a real problem. That's a real problem. Again, our idea is that they're just going to come in here. That's all we're thinking, right? That if they want to know Jesus, then church is the place to go. And I remind you, that's not at all the plan, but that's, that's our strategy. So we imagine they're just going to come here and, and find Jesus. But the problem is when they come here, they find us. There's a lady, this is not a story about this church. Um, I'll tell you one about our church in a minute. But there was a, a young woman who'd never been to church, never, not one time. And she didn't know any, she didn't know anybody who went to church. But she said she woke up one Sunday morning and it was Easter and something in her, something in her just said, go to church. And, and, and this woman who'd never gone to church, this young girl, just decided to up and go. Never walked in a church, never knew anybody who went to church. And she had it in the back of her mind. She just sort of had it in her mind that when you go to church, you, especially on Easter, you, you wear your best dress. And this young woman had one dress. She had one dress, and, and, and she felt cute in it. She liked that dress. It was the dress that she wore when she went clubbing. She, she'd go to clubs and dance, and she wore that dress. It's the only dress she had. She didn't think anything about it because she thought when you go to church, you wear your best. And so she wore the dress, and she said that she, 
didn't realize she'd done anything wrong until she sat down and felt people looking at her. She said, no. There's a strapless little thing, really, really tight, really short. And church people just stared at her. You know, it just, just made her feel trash. Now, look, y'all remember when Lady Gaga wore that meat dress to the Emmys? Like, they're looking at her like she was Lady Gaga in the meat dress at the Emmys. Like, simultaneously horrified and disgusted at her. She said she made it through two songs and just left and drove home in tears. What do you want from people? What do you expect from people? Okay, our church... I had a guy get saved during the week. He was so excited. He was so excited, y'all. But he wasn't a church guy. So what did he do to celebrate? Like, we would get baptized, but he couldn't wait for baptism. He got a tattoo, a big one. He got a, this this dude's big. He had these giant calves. He got this big Jesus on the back of his calf. Some of y'all remember him. Big Jesus on the back of his, like if I got Jesus, it'd be the smallest little Jesus on the back of my little calf, you know, but, but this dude was huge and he got this big old Jesus. And he was, he was so proud of that. He came in church the next Sunday, he wore shorts so you could see his new tattoo. What do you expect from people? I mean, people are like Pastor Tim, aren't you going to tell him the, the tattoos aren't in the Bible? You know, people are upset because he's got shorts on. He's got shorts and a tattoo, and, and somehow there are people. I'm talking about us. There are people who, who have a cow because somebody walks in with shorts on, or have a cow because somebody gets a tattoo that you don't like, but you can't find it in your heart to celebrate a man who once was lost, but now is found, was blind, but now he sees. What do you expect from people? What do you expect from people? Lady came to our church. I can't say it's the first time she's been in church in her life, but it's the first time she's been in a long time, and she was really nervous. God bless her. She was really nervous. She was so nervous that she had to have a cigarette, so she went to the ladies' room, and some of y'all were in there, and she went in the back stall and lit up a cigarette, you know, just because she needed it. God bless her. She just needed it. But, you know, some of y'all had a cow. You know, Pastor Tim, there's somebody smoking in the ladies' room. Well, what am I? I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. I mean, it's like she desecrated the whole place by lighting the cigarette. She was, she was, what do you expect from people? And so your strategy, our strategies, they're going to come into church, but then they come into church and they meet us. They don't ever make it to Jesus. I never find out about Jesus because they can't get past us. I'm telling you, non-believers are open to deep talks about faith, and they're having those conversations out there, but not with us. Now, let me take you one step further. A recent Barna survey, George Barna is a Christian sociologist. He does excellent research in the service of the church. He's amazing. Uh, and this is a recent survey which reports that more than six in 10 non-Christians say that they would be open to talking about faith matters with someone who listens without judgment. That was their number one thing. That that honestly, we're talking about most non-Christians. I think the actual figure was 62% 
So 62% of non-church people, non-Christians, they actually would be open to a conversation and some of them would really like to have a conversation about faith. They would like an opportunity to ask questions. They would like an opportunity to express doubts. They like to know, but they need somebody who knows how to listen without judging. And the same survey, these same people report that the Christians in their life don't fit that description. Okay, this is terrible. This is terrible. Do you understand what's being said here? We got a lost world, people who don't know Jesus, and they actually would be interested in the conversation. They're open. They like to have somebody to talk to. The problem is they don't see you or me as somebody they could talk to, and I'm telling you that's a problem. We don't even know how to engage the conversation. We have no idea how to walk out and just talk about Jesus with people, and that's all they're asking for. So let's talk about how to do it. First off, let's talk about some things that evangelism is not. Evangelism is not making somebody do what you want them to do. That's manipulation, and that's not what we're talking about here. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've grown up in church, I've grown up where evangelism was always a high priority. I have been through hundreds, probably, of evangelism training programs, and most of them had to do with memorization. In other words, I was sort of taught that you got to be this master of memorization. You should have some Bible verses ready. You should have a speech planned. And, and we would practice the speech on each other. And then we go out and we find people and we deliver our speech. And at the end of that speech, they're supposed to get saved. But most of the time they didn't. And when they didn't, I would feel terrible. I would feel like a failure. You know what I mean? Because in my mind, I was sort of trained to think that, that this is a conversation that only ends in one way. If I do it right, they got to get saved. And, and that's one conversation. I, I got my sales pitch. It's a gospel sales pitch. And I'm supposed to close the sale at the end. It was a conversation that's one way or the other. I'm supposed to win. But that's not evangelism. This is not what we're talking about here. It's not manipulation. It's not a conversation that you're going out to win. It's not you trying to manipulate somebody to do something that they might not even understand. This is not what we're talking about. Evangelism is not getting something said. It's getting something heard. Now, do you understand the difference? I know that sounds kind of nitpicky to you understand what I'm saying. It's easy to get something said. You can say it. I can stand up and preach it. Anybody ever raise teenagers? With a teenager in the house, you now understand you can say things that don't ever get heard. No matter how you say it, it doesn't get heard. It doesn't somehow get processed, you know, inside the, the, the mind of the person you're trying to talk to. And too often with evangelism, we're just getting something said. We just go out and we preach our gospel and never seem to notice that nobody's listening to us. Nobody's hearing us. I promise you, most of us, they turn us off before we ever get to Jesus. It's not just about getting something said. We've got to find a way by the power of the Holy Spirit to get this message heard. And that's a very different thing. Evangelism isn't fixing people by pointing out their sins. I know this is hard for some of us 
But you got to hear me. It's not fixing people by pointing out their sins. I know how delicious it is to point out other people's sins. And I know some of you think, oh, Pastor Tim, they need to know that they're sinners so that they know that they need a Savior. And I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Everybody needs to understand their sin because that's why you need a Savior. But can I just let you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself says that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and the Holy Spirit is good at this. The Holy Spirit knows the heart of every woman, the heart of every man. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs fixing, and the Holy Spirit knows how to put his finger right on it. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of sin, and you are not the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. I know, I know. You just want to tell them just one time what you're thinking. But I'm telling you, you can tell them what you're thinking, then they're never going to hear the message of Jesus. It is not your job to fix people by pointing out their sins. It's not. It never will be. As I said, the Holy Spirit is actually good at this. When the Holy Spirit reveals a person's sins to that person, that, that's called conviction. They become convicted of their sins, and they turn to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let the Holy Spirit do that job. Because when you do it, it just sounds judgmental. When you do it, it just turns them off. I mean, you're thinking, Pastor Tim, I, I gotta, I've just gotta, you just can't let people just live any way they want. I'm telling you, that's not our first message. I remember how I said that the majority of lost people would love to have the conversation with somebody who can listen without judgment. This is what we're talking about. You understand, you just start pointing out all the things about their life that don't measure up and they stop listening to you before you get to the Jesus part and the Jesus part is the important part. So why don't you start with the Jesus part? You know what I mean? It's not fixing people by pointing out their sins. So what is evangelism? What are we talking about here? What is your aim? And I'm talking about every single man, woman, boy, and girl in this house who belongs to Jesus. We are all called with the same great commission to go and tell people. So what does that look like? What's a gospel conversation look like? I define it this way. I made this slide. I'm sorry that the, 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 the print gets so small. Uh, so, you know, Pat Paul, put your bifocals on and read this with me. Evangelism is intentionally joining people on their spiritual journey and helping them take one step closer in relationship to Jesus. Evangelism is intensely. In other words, you're not going to accidentally do this. It, you're going to have to learn to make this one of your purposes. I guess it is your life's purpose. You're not going to do this without intentionality. Evangelism intensely joining people on their spiritual journey. I, I believe that every single person in the world is on a spiritual journey. Now, there's only one way to salvation, and that is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. You're going to have to come to Jesus. But everybody in the world, everybody in the whole world, you can locate them in some proximity to Jesus. They're either far, far away or very, very close to him or, or, or someplace in between. Everybody is somewhere on a spiritual journey that must lead them to Jesus. If they don't ever find Jesus, they never have salvation. They're, they're condemned for eternity. Do you understand this? 
So evangelism is, is, is coming alongside people on their spiritual journey and helping them take one step closer, one step closer in relationship to Jesus. So, so if this is the journey, and again, I'm not saying that everybody's on, you know, that all paths lead to Jesus. I'm not saying that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not saying there are multiple paths. There's one. But everybody has to come to Jesus, which means everybody in the whole world, everybody you know is somewhere along this, somewhere in relation to Jesus. Now, some are very near. I mean, they're just right there. They're just about ready to just step into the kingdom. They're just that close. You'll meet people who really are very close to, to confessing Jesus. It's wonderful. But you're also going to meet people that are further away, and some are much further away. They're a long way from getting to the place where they could confess Jesus and know him as Savior and Lord. Everybody you know is somewhere, you know, in location to Jesus. And, and your aim is to help them move one step closer. So here's, here's your friend. Here's somebody that you really care about. Here's your friend. And you want to see this person come to Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, in your next conversation, why don't you try to just move him to here? Now, what would it take to move this man's heart to, to hear? And here's some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, you know, he's got to get saved. I want to see him get saved. What if this is the only opportunity he has? I know, I know. The, the gospel is urgent. But most of the time, you're just going to do really well if you can move him one step. Now, this is biblical. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we're laborers together here with the Lord. Paul says the way it works is somebody comes along and they plant a seed. And then somebody else comes along and they water that seed. And then somebody else comes along and they're going to reap the harvest. It's Paul's simple way of describing the way the gospel grows. But somebody plants a seed, somebody waters a seed. Somewhere down the line, somebody reaps a harvest. Do you understand that in, in, in Paul's simple algorithm there, two out of three don't reap the harvest? But they were witnesses that they planted a seed. They may have prepared the ground even. They may have watered the seed. And I'm telling you, in conversation by conversation, you can help this person, you know, continue to move one step closer to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? For me, this is liberating. Because I can't tell you how many times I would share the gospel with somebody and have them tell me no, and I would feel like a failure. Or they'd say no, and I just want to quit. But that's not how evangelism works. I was watering the seed that day. Maybe I was planting a new seed that day. It's just how evangelism works. You don't always get to reap the harvest. Sometimes you will, and that's glorious. To usher someone right into the kingdom, that's amazing. But for you, for me, most days, I'm just going to come alongside people and help them move one step closer to Jesus. Does that make sense? So how do we do it? Just a couple of things and I'll be done. First, it takes love, you all. Do I have to tell you this? It takes love. You got to see them and know that you're looking at somebody worth dying for. I don't know if, if that evangelist still comes to Western. I, I think he does. Uh, I don't know how old he is. He's probably 200 by now. He's like Dracula, you know. He shows up every single year on Western's campus. Uh, he stands back behind the student center and just yells at people. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Just yells at people. He, he calls you filthy names. Now, at the same time, he, he's 
apparently trying to share the gospel of Jesus, but he, he shouts and he screams profane. I mean, just horrible things at people. Just pick out a random sorority girl and tell her she's going to hell. You know, call her a horrible name and tell her she's going to hell. And you can tell there's something delicious about this to him. I mean, you could say it's passion for the gospel and, and he's preaching Jesus, I, I know, but I'm just telling you, in my life on campus, he sure turned a whole lot more people off than he turned on for the gospel. He was a joke, and he was a cruel joke. Because I'm just telling you, anybody who can point at you and call you a name and tell you you're going to hell, if they can talk about hell without a tear in their eye, then I don't trust that person. Anybody who believes in hell and can talk about people going there and that doesn't somehow break their heart, I don't trust them. That, that's a monster. you got to see people and you have to love people and you got to know that you're looking. I don't care who they are. I don't care how far away from Jesus they are. Jesus still died for them. And I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care who they're sleeping with. I don't care what drugs they do. I'm telling you, this is a person worth dying for. And you just keep looking until you understand that you're talking about a person that Jesus died for. You start there. And, and then listen. Listen to their story before trying to tell them yours. And this is what they say in the Barna survey. This is what they say. I just want somebody who will listen. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I got a message to proclaim. I know you do. But listen first. Remember, you're not just trying to get something proclaimed. You're trying to get something heard. And maybe before they listen to your story, they need to tell you theirs. Listen to them talk. Let them talk. Let them tell you about their losses. They'll eventually open the door for the gospel. This is what you want. So you're trying to break the ice so you can preach your sermon. Why don't you just come alongside people and listen to them? Let them tell you their story. And at the same time, let, let me tell you this, you, you've got to listen without freaking out. You can't freak out. No matter what they tell you, you can't. You have to be completely unfreakoutable. Is that a word? You have to be unfreakoutable. In other words, they're telling you their story, and you're like, what? You did what? You did what? You slept with what? Who? You're taking what? You know, you're identifying as what? You, you can't freak out. You can't. You can't. Listen without judgment. Well, Pastor Tim, you know, sometimes you guys, you got to take a sin against sin. I know, I know, I know. But right now, you need to just let this person talk. Listen to their story because understand, you've got to be a safe person for them to share their heart with. You're wanting this person to give their heart to Jesus, which means at some point this conversation has to get to a heart level. It has to get to a heart level. That means they got to look you in the eye and believe that you're a person that's going to be trustworthy with their heart. And this is the part where most of us fail. This is what we do not earn. We do not earn their trust because they do not trust that we will listen without turning judgy. They, they do not trust us that we will just listen and love them and continue to hold out the gospel to them without in any other way turning our back on them. You understand what I'm saying? They do not believe that we're capable of this. And this is devastating. This is why we don't see any kind of evangelistic fruit in Woodburn from this church. It's this. 
They've yet to believe that we're safe, that they could come into this place or that we could come into their place and that they could express their doubts and, and we wouldn't somehow make them feel dumb. They don't trust us. So Chase Rice sings a song. I mean, they'll get with down-home friends and they'll, they'll find friends that, that they can talk to and that they can trust. But the problem is they're not able to lead each other. They're not able to, to reveal the truth because they don't know the truth. You and I have to find a way to be in those conversations. It's not about them coming to church. I hope they do, but understand, the gospel's not waiting for the lost people to come to church. The gospel's waiting for the church people to go to the world. If they're having conversations about faith matters, we need to be in those conversations. You gotta find a way to be a safe person so that people can talk to you. I, I know you, maybe you want some kind of big evangelistic training program, but honestly, I think if most of us could just learn to have a human conversation, it's just a human conversation. And understand, because the moment will come it may not be the first conversation, it may not be the third conversation, it may be somewhere wrong, long down the road, but at some point, they're gonna ask you. And I'm just saying that at that moment, you be ready to talk about the difference that following Jesus makes in your life, that, that, that's it. You've got something, that you've got a story to tell about Jesus and the difference he's made in your life. Now, if you don't, if you're saying, Tim, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know the difference following Jesus makes in my life. I, I don't, there's no difference. Well, then, then I need to have another conversation with you. I, I like to introduce you to Jesus. If, if you walk with Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then, then, then you can talk about the difference following him has made in your life. And at that point, you're, you're, you're going to be a witness. You're going to be the best kind of witness. Scripture says, be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you about the hope that is in you. Be ready to talk about the difference Jesus makes in your life. Every now and then somebody will say, Pastor Tim, it just breaks my heart that we don't see people getting saved at the altar. And I agree. It breaks my heart that we don't see people saved at, at that altar. But can I just remind you, that altar is in the, the churchiest location on earth. There aren't a whole lot of lost people filing by this altar. It's, it's probably not going to be the place where a whole lot of lost people get saved. So can I just suggest to you that our goal is not to see people saved at this altar so much. I'm waiting to see people saved around your fire pit. We're waiting to see people saved around your kitchen table, on your front porch swing. I know it would be something if all the lost people just come to church, but that's not Jesus' plan. The plan is for us to go to them and be ready and willing and able to have conversations about eternal things. Listen in such a way where you earn the right to speak. And then when you can speak, you know how to say Jesus' name with love. Does that sound too hard? Because I don't think there's any other thing more important for us. Pray with me.
Jesus, that crazy song sounds like everybody I know in Woodburn. It sounds like everybody I know everywhere. Lord, they feel like that they, uh, they've got their friends and they've got some kind of faith, and for that reason, they can't imagine why in the world they need Jesus or this church. Lord, there probably are spiritual conversations happening all the time in the world out there with some of the very people that we think are so far away from you, Lord. We can't even imagine ourselves having a conversation with them, Lord, and at the same time, it turns out they'd be open to it if they could trust us to listen, to love, to set the judging aside. Lord Jesus, we've been so quick to judge and so slow to speak your name. Will you help us? Lord, it's not even just about us becoming better disciples. We can't be better disciples until we learn how to follow you, Lord, in carrying the gospel to the world. That's for certain, but what's really at stake here, Lord, are the souls of people, my neighbors, the souls of my neighbors who sit around their fire pit and drink beer, have conversations that I'm never a part of. God, will you help me to love them? Love them enough to tell them, to listen, to just be a neighbor. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would set a fire under our church, Lord. Just help all of us to go back to campus, to go back to our homes, to go back to our neighborhoods and see people, really see people, to see souls, Lord, in the balance between heaven and hell, to recognize the need of every soul for the gospel. Lord, those people who know us and see us and cross paths with us, Lord, they are entitled to hear the gospel from us. Oh, Lord, we just make us able and willing to have the conversation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, but for the sake of the lost world.